the, the truth is we start off with luck where we actually are born and what what gender if I'd have had a penis, I might have got paid a lot paid yeah. for it. But, you know, like, again, people don't actually understand that, like, um, you can be born into a family that has um, violence in it. Mm. Or you can be born like I was into a family that was driven and loving. This is Reignited, where together we will meet interesting people who have a curious message for the world. They'll tell us about their experiences so that we can all reignite our lives. Work is such an important part of our life and I was very privileged to work with a wonderful woman who has done so much in life but not just about her career but her philosophy in life is brilliant and I'm so super excited to introduce you to Jenny Williams. Um, thank you, Pearl. How thanks nice for coming. Is that? And uh, I'm right back at you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so, you know, that's why we end up here, isn't it? Having a chat. Yeah, it's great. So I get all my guests to choose three, three <laughs> symbols, and you've already broken the rules, which is awesome. Um, so, what cards did you choose and why? Um, what cards did I choose? I chose a heart because you know, I talk about heart smarts and courage as being the things that make a difference in life. You know, what's inside you, what you learn and also the courage to actually do what's right when it's really hard sometimes. So probably that was the number one card. Yeah, um, so you touch your head and your heart at the same time. There. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose I do. Smarts in different ways? Smarts in, first of all, uh, my philosophy is very much governed by now a guy named Daniel Kahneman who is an old psychologist and won the Nobel Prize for economics mm. because he showed most people do things that they know. They don't actually step outside and think, is there a different way? Can we do it better? And I often find in life people get stuck in a rut because, you know, that's what they've seen and that's normal. But if you actually want to be either great or, in fact, maybe healthy, sometimes we actually have to step outside our comfort zone and that requires not being book smart. Like you don't have to tell me a thousand facts, but you do have to know if we need to find out about this, how do we do it well rather than just being influenced by people's opinions? So yeah. that goes with the hearts and the smarts and they all go together. I like the red colour too because it's colourful. Yeah. This one I had trouble with because it's not colourful. I'm into colour, by the yeah. way. But I do love dogs and yeah. dogs and loyalty and family. So we have a dog. Again, train the dog because, you know, like dogs need some form of discipline as well as love. And, you know, I really quite like the fact that, you know, um, making sure that it's like kids. You can't have no boundaries because if you do, you're going to set that kid up for failure in the long run. But at the same time, having some boundaries, but through love, you know, like you don't have to be cruel at any stage or nasty. And a dog gives you so much unconditional love. And it reminds me of my family because, you know, I've got a great husband, a really good daughter and a dog that is just, you know, like he's just part of the family too. And it's wonderful. So that loyalty, um, loyalty but also, yeah. you know, that sense of family and mm, all of that. training is something that, you know, we'll get into later yeah, uh, with you exactly being an organisational right. psychologist, but yeah. Flower. I don't know why, but like, like, isn't life, I do have time to smell the roses, I suppose. I hadn't thought about that when I picked it. But again, I like colour again and the fact that, you know, everyone's so driven all the time. And I believe instead of being categorised into, you know, you're a type A, you're a type B or all of these old psychology things, what we are is we are who we are and we need to learn to be both. We need, mm. there are times where we're going to be driven. There are times when the world's not going to be great and we're going to have to suck it up, even if it's not what we want to do. But there are also times when we need to actually just turn off, sit down, come and do things like this. Mm. Spend time with people you like or spend time with people you love, smell the roses and realise that life does offer some really nice things even in the hardest times. So Yeah, yeah so it's not about it all being roses, but it, it's about that balance between yeah. the two. Yeah, time, time yeah. to take. And most people I find, you know, probably if I was changing the COVID world, I would tell everyone, no one go back to work full time. Yeah. Everyone works seven or eight tenths. We employ more people. Everyone has a little bit of time. And, you know, like often, especially with kids, people have them and then don't spend time with them. Mm. And they're like your dog. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, if you spend time, it's not quality, it's actually time. Mm. It's um, being around and kids are like roses. You have to spend time to actually get them to feel good, to do mm. that. And, you know, like it's, it's sitting... More stuff you don't need. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't need stuffed roses. You know, like um, cut roses. I like them in the garden because they're yeah. growing and they're colourful. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about this podcast because, as you can see, we can 
you know, there's so much richness in everything that you have. So we'll get into stuff. But what's the final oh, card? The final that you chose? one is probably a star, and uh, that's because like the stars line the the universe, and you know, like that's a bit about science too. You know, finding out about that. But I also wrote a book, and it's called Think, Prepare, Play Like a Champion. And people confuse that with being because I was a sports person, mm. you know, a champion sports person. When in fact, it's actually a champion person. Yeah. And to, you noticed I said think because <laughs> yeah. it's there. Prepare is actually the behavioural stuff to do. And play, and my husband, when he's doing this, we talk about recovery too because he's also a doctor, so mm. that's there. But, you know, like, and everyone thinks of a star like this, and my star has, yes, it's got the sides around it because they're all the things I want people to learn. But in the middle there's an aspect called care, mm. and it's care about three things, about yourself, yeah. about other people, and when you need to about the result. Yeah. So, again, you know, like... People often forget to be successful, you do have to care about yourself. But it can't always be the number one thing because sometimes, if you, especially if you're in a team, if you don't know, not know about others and you do not know about the people that you are dealing with, you will never actually fulfill how you're going to be as a great group. Yeah. And the last one, of course, is the result because there are going to be times when the result might just be, I'm just having a coffee for the sake of it. Or it may be, I need to win a world championship. So here we're going to do it. But as I said to most of my athletes, kids and adults, if you want to care about the result, then make sure you're doing the other two because if you're not, this one will never get to be as good as it can yeah, be. Yeah, so they all sit there together. Mm, and yeah. break some rules if you need to when, yeah. they're, when <laughs> they're not really set and you've yeah. got four cards or whatever. Yeah. You know, my point is, Bill, I love the fact that people give you options, yeah. but sometimes there's another option and I'm not scared to be one of those people and that's the courage to go, yeah. Ah, might be a little rule. It's not hurting anyone, so let's break it sometimes. Yeah, and it, in actual fact, that's something that I quite often with clients will be like, you know, they've come up with the, the here are the options, but it's like, is there something else as well mm. that sits there too? So you mentioned that you're a sports person. Um, yes. Now, can you um, just give us a bit of insight into your childhood and growing up and, and how you came to be um, such a sports person who's well, done lots in the sporting ah, field. Well, I'm going to go back to one of these things again on my, on my, from my book, and it's called luck. Mm. Now, you know, like everyone says you make your own luck. Kids get told that all the time. Now, you can tell people that the truth is we start off with luck where we actually are born and what, what gender if I'd have had a penis, I might have got paid a lot playing yeah. sport. But, you know, like, again, people don't actually understand that, like, um, you can be born into a family that has um, violence in it mm. or you can be born like I was into a family that was driven and loving. Mm. Now, that's a perfect combination. You ask, ah, why was that? Well, Dad, Coach Port, has got the stand named after him at Adelaide mm. Oval. Yeah, and he's quite a well-known legend. Yes, Foss yeah, Williams. Foss yeah. Williams, yes. Yeah. And then my mum was a really champion tennis player. But, again, I'll also say I grew up with an Anglican dad and a Catholic mum in the days when no one else did that because, yeah. you know, they were very segregated. So you grew up with a sense of, well, you know, when people were finding differences, we found commonalities, you know, like so again, that again is luck because dad thought and mum thought it was more important to marry someone that you love than, you know, it was a bit like Romeo and Juliet without the sad ending, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. so, Luckily. Yes. <laughs> so we grew up in this wonderful thing. So when you ask me about sport, I then as the oldest daughter, uh, the oldest child, and it was hilarious because one of my cards that I've got home that mum got was, dear Foss, why didn't you have a boy first? You know, like it's yeah. funny because it was a lot of pressure on that. They didn't have much money. We lived in a housing trust house for the first 10 years of my life. How wonderful was that? You grew up with all these other families mm. and, you know, like we lived next door to a, a Lithuanian immigrants and it was just joyous to learn more about people. And money didn't make a huge difference because we had enough to eat and we had enough for love. So, again, when you look at hierarchies of needs, basically we had all of that fulfilled. So it was just the joy of hanging around. And then I had three brothers and I always talk about if you want to get good at sport, be the oldest girl love having a two-on-one when you have twin brothers born yeah. <laughs> and then a little brother. So when we were really little, it was always Stephen and I, the youngest and the oldest, onto the two middle ones. Yeah. And then, of course, as we got older, we'd split and make the teams even. 
but we would play brandy. And, you know, like people might be listening to this, but in the old days, you talk about resilience when you get a wet tennis ball (laughs) and boys run around and smacking you as hard as they could with it. You learn very quickly, I'm going to get over this or I'm going to get the tennis ball. In most schools and everything now. There's no way you would do it. And that's the thing about resilience, wasn't it? You know, it was part of actually growing up in many ways Mm. that, you know, you actually knew, Oh, but you still had rules. You weren't allowed to hit anyone in the head. Because, of course, that was that would really hurt them. But, mm. you know, if you got hit in the shoulder or anything else, it was like, well, you should have dodged better. Yeah. And so, again, you asked me, so therefore I grew up playing soccer with the netball. I grew up playing footy with my brothers. Um, we all played tennis, a lot of tennis, and went to the football all the time with Dad and Mum. Mum, as I said, there wasn't anything we sort of just, uh, at Christmas you, the boys would play cricket and i get dragged in. So... Basically, it just gave me a great all-rounder skill in that and it enabled me to get in state and Australian teams. And, you know, like, and as I said, I've probably also got to mention here, I was lucky enough when I was 17, matriculated and got into physio and law. Third choice, really wanted to get in. Not third choice, first choice, but it took me to the third round was PE. And secondary PE was so hard to get in in those days. And you had to have an interview. It was the greatest thing in my life as well as my family is to meet this set of friends that are still my friends that mm. are driven fantastic women and um, what a joy so so you know this is luck bill a mm. lot of it i mean my work to get into to university was not luck but at the same time the people i met and the group that we had what a joy it's brought to my life and we've yeah. all got on well so is it synchronicity or like i think about luck you know quite often people be like you make your own luck and you have to work hard to to get lucky or some people just come across things by chance. Yeah, like, well, uh, I how think do you sit with that. Well, again, you can it's not really making your own luck. It's mm. giving yourself opportunity to yep. me. Hard work and actually planning and finding out new things give mm. you opportunities. But as I said, you have no say if you are born into a house of violence, your unluck is to then come across someone and as I said to one kid You've come across me now or when we're at school. Mm. You come across good teachers who all of a sudden kids can see there is a different path and you do not have to and you are worthy. And, you know, just because you're being told you're not doesn't mean they're right. And, in fact, but if you don't expose yourself to new knowledge or never have that great teacher or that really good friend who actually makes you feel different, you never realise there's a world out there that when you have your own children, you're going to be very different with them because you've had to work at being better. And often I, I think Darren Hayes' line in um, in one of his songs is, my parents did the best job that they knew how to do. Mm. Well, the truth is, if it's a bad job, it takes something to break the cycle mm. and stop telling people that you are you know, you deserve where you are. Now, if you've got a million billion dollars and you can get everything happens for you and people can buy a lot of things. Mm. I don't think they buy happiness, but if you have no food and you're having subjected to violence, money yeah. doesn't make a difference. No, and it, it's about that meeting people in your life who can see your potential mm. and, and the possibilities and for you to be able to, to see that life could be different. Yes. But that takes work, doesn't it? Oh, that's probably one of the greatest things that I think is people often want a quick fix for anything in their life. Mm. And you ever heard of Entropy Bill? Yes. (laughs) I hadn't heard of it until one day I've got the greatest husband in the world, but he drops clothes all over the floor in the bedroom, right? (laughs) And I said, darling, why are all the clothes on the floor in the bedroom? And he goes, ah, Jen, it's Entropy. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. So not only did I look that up and find out it's a law of the universe for mm. physics law, I think it's the fourth law. I think he said second or whatever, but <laughs> it's one of the laws of the universe. And I actually say to people, so you come to my talk or maybe you'll listen to this podcast and you'll go, wow, that was a really good idea. Mm. And then I put a normal bell curve up, which is hilarious that your name's Bell because I show <laughs> bell curves. And I put that up and I say under the middle, which is normal, when we hear a good idea or even we're told something, Underneath is a number zero because that's the number of things normal people do differently in a week or two weeks' time. Mm. It is very hard to overcome the law of the universe of entropy, which is given no hard work or impetus, things go to their lowest form of energy or chaos. Mm. Clothes can't go through the floor anymore. But to actually do something about it requires picking up or hanging up or that. So most people buy a bike and Mm. within a month 
it's in the shed or outside. Yeah. Same with everything else. It's like those exercise bikes that become clothes hangers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the truth is, once people understand, if you are normal, you do nothing differently after hearing good ideas. Mm. But if you want to actually improve a little bit, do one thing, just yeah. one. Pick one and do it. And actually, if you can, pick a friend to also do it with you or help you because the universe actually works better when we work with a little help. And so it's great because all I do is give possibilities and some things to do and things to practice. Mm. And that may even just be practicing being calm or practicing understand how heart and head link in heart rate and anxiety. Yeah. And then practicing getting your heart rate up and bringing it down when you're not anxious. Mm. How do you do that? Go for a run, do some exercise, bring it down. You need to own a heart rate monitor. Um, there are really cheap ones. Or, you know, find people like me that have an old one and then give them away because, yeah. again, understanding to be better at physical or mental health requires some form of overcoming this entropy. Yeah. And it's a law of the darn universe. So every time <laughs> someone does something well, it's like, you've done it, good job, you're yeah. overcoming the universe. Yeah. And if they, you know, quitting smoking and people sometimes go back and have a smoke and I go, who cares? You, you, you slip once. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm. It just means, guess what? The universe was winning that day, but come on, we're back on your side again today. Yeah. yeah. So just listening to you, it just reminds me of when you were a PE teacher, how it was so much more than just the PE. And sport is a mm. an incredible metaphor for life um, as well. But you have this amazing positivity and optimism um, and energy about you. How does that like, how does that play out for you? Like, is that learned? Is it just part of who you are? I think it's a bit of, you know, it'd be interesting if you did genetic studies. Yeah. Because, again, my mum had an incredible energy and people would say that about her too. Mm. So, again, I'll go back to luck. I think two things. Genetically, I'm predisposed to being a little happier than most people, but also I was exposed to an environment all the time. Imagine, like, I look like me now. And I look like, like you know, what you see is all there is, by the way, For if anyone actually sees what I look like. Mm. I show my highlight tape of when I was 25 and that. And, you know, it's actually days turned to minutes and minutes to memories. It's an old Mellencamp song. Yeah. And I play it and I go, because especially young people go, oh, wow, how athletic, how much did you, how good did you mm. look? And I'll go, yes. So here I lucked into my mum even when I was 10 putting me in the weirdest colours and telling me how great I was and, yeah. you know, like never lying to me. But when you did something well, saying good job, and when you did something you needed to be better at, pointing out and helping you get better rather than just telling you what you did wrong. Yeah. So, again, a little bit of genetics but a lot of luck into the fact that I actually had that feedback all the time. And, you know, I remember someone when I was 17 or 18 doing PE saying to me, oh, I think you're a bit fat. Mm. And me going, I am not fat. That's yeah. your problem. You know, like, because I yeah. wasn't. But people, you know, like the the anorexic image or things like that, people wanted people to be thinner all the time. Mm. Now, if in my own head I think I'm okay, and especially when you're training with sassy and you have to get down to percentages, it really is interesting because you do have to have self-worth because they will always find a reason to lose another kilo. Mm. Nah. Yeah. Don't need it. So how do we develop that self-worth? Because I think everything comes down to that. Mm. Am I enough? You know, oh, that exactly sort of right. And I know that, you know, you're growing up with a well-known <laughs> footballer and coach. Yeah. You know, was that, you know, I think back to, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the old school sort of way of coaching and things like that. Did that play out in... Oh, gracious I me. know you're going to uh, people, question this. People are so wrong about old yeah. school. Yeah, tell us great about that. Great old school <laughs> is the same as great new school. Yeah. All right? Shitty new school is the same as <laughs> shitty old school. Yeah. And that's where people don't get it. You know, we talk about this. Uh, we live in my mum and dad's old house and we'd live eight doors down the road and build a house there to look after my mum after dad died. When mum died, we went into that house. Now, that house was full of this placebo lamp thing that was like anyone would come over and sit under it and dad would talk to them as they sat under it and they would go out healed. Mm. And the kitchen table, dad would have people on Friday nights massaging them, bad luck about tea, you know, like, but... <laughs> They would come over as a team. Our yeah. house was a drop-in house and it still is and I still pride very much. So, again, when we talk about this, you and I are distantly related almost, mm. you know, like, well, the reason is 
country parents had a house that was a drop-in house. And mm. so when my dad was old school, old school meant, and when I, I can back this up because he's actually got sheets that he would give people, which is exactly what I would do as a psychologist mm. with elite players now. And I've actually run them off and I show people, but I had to get them typed up because his writing was so bad. But dad was an economist as well as being a footy coach. And he believed that, again, learn, get new things and help people get better. Mm. So this honest feedback was actually, well, how do we get you better and how am I going to help you? Not, you're terrible at this, mm. get better. So it's not to criticise. It's not to criticise. It's all of that. So in other words, you know, like even my brothers, he would write letters to because, you know, like when you're young, you don't really want to hear all of this, even though dad was an expert. So here's another thing, Bill. Kids get told by their parents what they should or shouldn't do quite often. Mm. Parents aren't experts. Mm. So start to work out when you're listening to people, where do they sit on the bell curve for expertise in what you want to get good at? So in other words, if it's physical, have you got a trainer that understands all the factors of fitness? That's how it's doing, how it plays out in our group. If you have a coach, sometimes they were the best player. Best players don't necessarily make best coaches, especially with little kids. And in workplaces, quite often oh. someone who is skilled in a thing becomes the manager but they actually don't know how to manage and things like that too so it relates so well doesn't it absolutely and so when you talk about my dad yeah driven you know you want to be the best you want to do this well Mm. here's this we were lucky enough we had opportunities we only had one tennis racket but you know like the wooden tennis racket oh how good was that and we had space to grow as kids but dad was old school in the fact that he wanted to be better and he wanted to be the best but he was very much old school care in looking after his team. And like when my mum or dad died, the number of people that just, you know, like, and I still got a note when I got this OAM from one of the senators in Canberra and he wrote, the best thing is I I knew your dad really well. I worked under him. What a great person he was. And I sit there and go, this is the legacy that you want to have as a person, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah, I made you really good because I helped you with the whatever, learning about the physical or the tactical or technical things. But most of all, I made you value yourself because you could see yourself as a greater person in so many ways. And, yeah. I, you know, like that's what you're asking me about. Yeah. Good old school was good. Yeah, yeah. And I deliberately asked that question because <laughs> yeah, I knew no. that you would have a response <laughs> to that. And also how wonderful to think the values of your mum and dad are just shining through you as well. And it wasn't just about his footballing ability. It was about who he was as a person. Oh, yeah. Sounds People, like they're a team. Social media didn't exist in those days, yeah. but telephones existed, the paper existed, and what people would often say, people who didn't know my dad or that would judge people as being poor dad, and this is where I'm very much trying to teach people, what you see or what is presented to you isn't necessarily reality, mm. and you need to do a bit more homework. And, in fact, if I haven't really met someone and had a chance to speak to them and watch them, I tend to go my judgment, you know, or, or watch their behaviours. Yep, you can get a fairly good idea mm. on, you know, if people are kind or not kind from their behaviours. But one of the things is, like, they would say things and people would ring up and abuse my dad about something that went on the football field. And my mum had a whistle. So when they'd <laughs> ring up and start abusing on the phone, mum would just go, Shh. I can't hear you. <laughs> she was like the automatic social media filter. Yeah. And so, again, imagine that because yeah. that's what we're talking about now is the ability to learn what is an expert opinion. Mm. And if it's expert and given to you kindly to make you better, then absolutely listen to it. Yeah. If it's just an opinion, <laughs> if it's nice, bring it in. Yeah. But if it's not, uh, you don't need it. Yeah, and it's, it just reminds me of that Brene Brown thing of unless you're in the arena with them, you know, like who, whose opinion are you going to oh, take on board? But having Is said it the that, people in the cheap seats or is it oh, the people in the ring with you? Yeah. Uh, and and if we go to Ash Barty, yeah. you think about oh. her, she achieved because she found a team. If you listen to her language, it's about oh. we, it's about, and she started to only reflect on the people's opinions that really mattered. Mm. And once you get that, it's like a little force field around you. Yeah. And I talk about, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hoberman Sphere. They're one of those um, star things that can go smaller oh, yeah. or bigger by how things, you yeah. pull it. And as I said, there's two things. Wanking you bigger is learning things and mm. being surrounded by people who actually help you mm. and make you feel good. Making smaller can be the people who surround you, opinions, non-experts, mm. but it can also be internal. 
Because if you've never learned to love yourself, and it doesn't matter, I can watch RuPaul's and it's all about loving yourself. The truth is, you need to love yourself and that love should be based on the fact that you are kind, you are smart, and you are willing to learn and help other people. And that sometimes when people feel really shitty about themselves, as in they're not feeling good, it's all about me, it's all about how I'm feeling, when in fact if you can actually externalise that sometimes and go, oh, how about that person, can you help them a little bit, you can actually make people start to feel better about themselves because they stop focusing on themselves, but you need to at least get in a good enough headspace to do yeah. that. Yeah, Ash Barty, you know, to retire at 25 um, and call it for her own, my heart mm. is not in it and her own well-being is outstanding. And you, is it six sports, you're a... Yeah, you sort of represent South Australia. Australia and then three in Australian teams. Yeah. What's different about female sport now? From the 80s, I'll say nothing except the recognition. I yeah. probably was really quite disappointed in listening to I turned the radio on the other day and David Wildey and, and Malcolm Blight were discussing uh, the cl- current women's cricket mm. thing and they were actually saying how great they were and that finally isn't it great that there are women's cricketers. And I'm mm. sitting there going, Malcolm, you're a hero. You are amazing. But you played a long time ago. Imagine if no one actually had taken much notice of men's football. Mm. Did that make you any less of a player? And that's that what you see is all there is. And I was really tempted to bring up and say, have you ever met Jill Kinnear? Have you ever met Lynette Fulston? Wendy Pilts, my friends, um, even Warren Treadray's um, aunties, Sharon and Jan, were mm. brilliant sportswomen. Now, um, we played when there were the ropes. There was no ropes. There was a boundary. So mm. when Jill hit sixes, they were on the men's ba- full boundaries and yeah. everything. And um, Jill is a member of Lords. And Lefty's got the lawn there. And, like, we really work hard to try and get the women who have come before to actually get recognised because mm. if you ask me the difference is we were lucky we had sassy. And so I can show people, they go, oh, women in the 80s. I'm like, here's our training programs. Yeah. Here's our figures. Compare them with now, Hannah mm. Kane. They go, oh, wow, well, that was Sports Institute. And yeah. are they, and again, even Sarah, who works there, she's a great female that works there. And most people don't even realise we've got some great female sports scientists around. Mm. And so, again, it's the difference is they are great sportswomen and, you know, people like Erin have cross-coded, Erin Phillips oh, cross-coded amazing. so well, but yep. so did Shani Layton. But, again, it all comes back to... If you ask them, those players themselves will recognise the women that came before, but it's often the outside thing that think that they were the first that it ever happened yeah. to. And so for me, part of the education of people is showing your highlight tapes because then they go, wow. Mm. And I find uh, the guys we played against who are in their 60s now all go, oh, you were really good because they actually saw us. So did you play against guys? Oh, yeah, when we played cricket and lacrosse to be the best. We went, well, hold it, women's cricket had been genteel and everything Mm. like that too. And the same with women's lacrosse. They play with one hand, with wooden sticks. We came out and went, hold it, the blokes do two hands. They use plastic sticks. They do dodges on both sides. Why wouldn't we do that? So we got, we always found the best men loved the best women who were also driven and wanted to be great. And I never have a a male versus female thing because like anything else, you get some really sexist, you know, misogynistic men and they're often the ones that come out and say how much they love women and help. Mm. (laughs) And then you get the men who really do do the helping. And um, I often talk to people like Robert Shaw, uh, Gary Ayres, Mark Williams. Imagine Mark um, employed Jen Sterling and I in the football department. Yeah. 10, 12 years before anyone else does, but no one actually recognises. And they often put men in who were supposed to be champions of change that I read are just there Mm. to actually be there. Tell me what they've done. And that's that whole thing is judging people on what have you done. Mm. And so the difference now, oh, how good is it that women are actually getting, and you've got to look at it, and women's football, for instance, the skill level is improving all the time. Mm. But in women's cricket, that has been there for a long, long time. In tennis, uh, other sports, basketball, it's the recognition now that they're getting that they deserve, and it's, it's great to see. But also the biggest thing is there are too many young women who aren't making it and see now that that's the only important thing and are actually stopping playing. At nineteen and twenty, Bill, yeah. and we don't want that. We want I Why want not? women to be playing there, and they're my age, so yeah. they're healthier. Yeah, mm. in a team where you like each other, you are friendly to each other. You all want to be the best. Don't you know? Like, don't tell me if you're playing elite, you want to be the best. 
But at the same time, I want to be the best. But if you're in a better position than me, Belle, I better give you the ball because yeah. otherwise <laughs> yeah. that's selfish and it's not teamy. Yeah. But if you all go out wanting to be the best, you win more than you lose, and yeah. especially when you're teamy. It's that collaboration, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. A team is, yeah, sport, um, you know, is the ultimate team, but that happens in workplaces and things oh. um, as well all the time, isn't it? And that's where I read about bullying with women. I, my daughter is lucky. She's working where there's, she's had some great female bosses. Mm. And I sit there and celebrate. I'm going, didn't everyone have good, and like we were lucky when we mm. were, we had good women and yeah. women who tended to help others. Mm. Oh, got the door open. Well, I'm not shutting it because I got in. Well, yeah. I'm actually going to keep the door open yeah. for the next. And I think that was very much, you asked me about joy. Well, I think joy actually comes back to you a mm. little bit yeah. when you actually hold doors open for other people because at some point they notice it and they yeah. actually go, oh, thank you for that. And then you go, oh, yeah, my pleasure. Mm. Yeah. Now, you just happened to slip in that you recently got an OIM. Um, What's it like to get recognition for all of the stuff that you've done? It's like you died, that all the people <laughs> say something nice before you actually died. And honestly... Uh, for me, that was probably, it really doesn't make any difference no, to your life I, whatsoever. I actually thought that was going to be your response. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't make any difference, except for the fact is, how nice is it that people who are now in their 50s that I taught, or early, you know, late 50s that I taught at Wirreanda High School, which was an interesting school that had just opened and everything, Oh, honestly, I, you know, Miss Williams, you took us on the year 10 camp and we did this and you, and like, I'm sitting there going, wow, wow. Teachers don't get told enough mm. the the joy that they actually bring to to other people's lives, yep. and you know, like you obviously make mistakes on the way, but again, even for me, it was like just having people say, "Wow," and I go, "Otherwise, that it's just like every other trophy. It's a dust gatherer." And as <laughs> I say to people, you have in that care area, you have you might have a million trophies. Ash Barty mm. is going to have. A thing full of trophies. Not one of them is going to ring her. Not one of them is going to text her. When she's 60 years old, no one's going to sing her. Not one of those trophies is going to sing happy birthday mm. to her. But everyone that's. dogs she, will love her every day. Oh, exactly. Right. But everyone that she's been associated with is going to be there. Mm. And that's team sport. And that's why, even in an individual sport, you need to teach kids and adults to have a team mentality mm. because it is the thing that helps you survive when things get hard. Or when you get old and everyone else, you know, like when you get old, I read Pat Rafter said the other day, oh, people forget you very quickly. Well, when you're a team, you actually don't forget mm. each other and you have little reunions and you get together and everyone gives each other a hug. That's what life is about and it yeah. keeps you joyous because of it. Yeah, and I think it comes back to, you know, we knew each other in you were a teacher mm. um, and I'll never forget and it actually makes me quite emotional thinking about it. You had done a talk with the students one day about, you know, who you are and, and what happened. And I had a student come into my office and actually they were a leader of the school, you know, one of the people who you, everyone would aspire to be. And they actually talked about the fact that they weren't feeling very well and were thinking of killing themselves. Uh -huh. And your talk had made them realise because they were sporty and all that mm. stuff. Like they had made them realise that there was something to live for. Um, oh, wow. And I just think about, <laughs> like I think about that. It's one of my most <laughs> favourite stories. And when we bumped into each other a little while ago, I was thinking about that in the car. But it's that thing of the influence we have by being a teacher and a solid, mm. kind person and showing people the way. We don't know what impact that has. Oh, and yeah. that's that's the messages that you get yeah. back 40 years later and yeah. you're sitting there going, wow. And yeah. even in sport, I've done a couple of podcasts and mm. I've had people write from different places. And one was a farmer in WA who wrote, he was an ex-sports person, and he wrote, um, you know, I got so badly treated and life has been, and he then wrote, well, I now read and listen to a lot of what you say. And he said, it's made a difference. And I sit there and go, Oh, you yeah. know, like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, and as I said to people, it's this luck, it's this, this uh, chance. And that's why I am all for teachers mm. and I am all for um, politics. If it was better, we would have way smaller ratios in areas of need mm. where kids haven't lucked into a good adult around or a nice stable relationship in their lives. And if you're a teacher, I do the Premier's Reading Challenge and mm. I go to areas. And if you're a teacher that is 
having to have a big number of kids with a lot of problems and coming from a lot of different areas, wouldn't it be nice to only have 10 in your class for the first couple of years till we can make them feel good about themselves, mm. understand this? Because once you establish that, even if it breaks for a little while, it's easy to bring back again. And what you just said about accomplishers, also everyone assumes because people look like they're the fittest, strongest, biggest, this. And I had a young boy who actually refused to be house captain after he'd come and seen me. Mm. And his mum rang and said, but, you know, this is an opportunity for him. And I said, he's not mentally ready for that yet. Mm. He needs to help himself before he's there to help others. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the bravest things. And, of course, the parent immediately went, that's a great thing. You know, mm. like I hadn't realised because on the outside, often parents think, their kids are bulletproof mm. because they look like it. And inside, people aren't exactly the same. And once you actually understand that, and even some people who have been at Australian level almost get broken by the coaches or the system. So say you go And over, the shoulds and the pressure and oh, everything that goes with that. Exactly right. Well, say you're drafted from AFL and you're an Adelaide person and mm. you're sent over to Melbourne and you're 18 and you were the biggest, strongest, best-looking person in the 18s and all of a sudden you're put in a club where now everyone else is older than you, they're stronger than you, they've played more games than you. You're no longer one end of the bell curve, you're the other end. Mm. And all of a sudden you're then being judged totally, often even by the family that you're put out with, on how your football's going. And that's all anyone and talks to you about. And to the nth degree. Every, absolutely. Yep. And then you play your one game or two games and you're against someone who's bigger and stronger and everyone's telling you how you're no good. And all of a sudden it can destroy young people and that's where when they talk about care in clubs or in um, professions or, you know, anything like that, they write these words on the wall, Bill. <laughs> they are all the words that, you know, like you would go, oh, we care about people. And I'll go, well... Show me how you treat your staff. When's the last day you gave them off a, a day off for doing all of this? And, mm. like, the truth is caring professions, people go, don't go in it for the money, doctors or nurses, and then they say it's all about the client. And the answer is it isn't. If we do not keep our doctors, our nurses and our teachers, the people who absolutely go into it because they want to make the world a better place, if we never say thank you, we never value them, and we just keep piling more and more on, guess what, sooner or later you lose the good ones because they'll go and do something else. Yeah, yeah because that takes over from the passion of, exactly of why they right. do what they do. So you have, you're now a organisational psychologist. psychologist. Yep. So what sort of work do you do and how how's that different to when you're a PE teacher? <laughs> well, it's a little bit more informed psychology. <laughs> um, yeah. Having said that, on the ground, being a good PE teacher or being a good coach is actually being able to get the – I talk – Someone, my husband was talking the other day, he was listening to the, a different podcast and he was talking about leadership. And he said, oh, this, you know, they're having trouble with definitions in academia. And I said, good leadership, be it whatever it is, is about two things. It's about, number one, being able to bring the best out of everyone else in your group. And number two, maybe sometimes even identifying people that don't do that for everyone else and actually getting rid of them. Mm. because they're like the the poison that hurts other people that brings everyone down. So if you want to be in my group, Belle, you may not be the best player, but if you make everyone else 10% better, I definitely want you in my group. So, again, even as a teacher, that's what we were trying to do, make everyone better and help everyone. And when you come with businesses, first of all, it's to teach them what Kahneman says. People make decisions very quickly, very easily, and it's the easiest thing to do. It's based on, on my opinion and all of this, and it's emotional, what you look like, how tall you are, how old you are, how good-looking you are. Isn't it a pity in politics that how good-looking you are is going to get you more votes than a lot of other areas? Mm. And um, we were laughing because someone said, if I ever stood for politics, I'd put my niece, Georgina, who's beautiful on the poster and say, endorses Jenny <laughs> underneath. <laughs> and again, it's just knowing now, what do I know more about psychology? I actually know more about how the studies of Milgrams, which is obedience to authority, can make people act. And that's really important when you're dealing with police associations or you're dealing with lawyers or you're dealing with tribunals. So again, often people get people out 
if you want to be better, you have to learn new things and then you have to work out how does that apply with our group and are we doing any changes? And that's one of the things that after I do a talk, about a month later, it's really interesting to say, what one thing have you done differently yet? What two things have you done differently? And I went one day listening to people doing strategic planning and the person who had taken it was really, really good. But they're... And, I'm in the room and I added an opinion or two and she goes, oh, you shouldn't add opinions because they'll find it themselves. And I said, well, Daniel Kahneman would say that's the problem with the world is most people don't know solutions, so they sit in what they know. Mm. And that's almost the same sometimes in psychology where people go, oh, the, the, your client or the person sitting opposite you, and I hate calling them clients, the person that I'm sitting with will find it within themselves. But the answer is if they've never been exposed to it, they don't even know it exists. So it's not telling people what to do. It's actually giving people an idea of new information, making it easy. Because if you want to make change, don't make it hard. Yeah, make because it what as easy if as possible. It's too hard? If it's too hard, people stop doing it. And they know that about a motivation or anything like that. That in fact, we were just talking about entropy. It's so hard to just overcome that. Mm. That if you make it too hard to do anything. And also if you tell people they're a failure if they've okay, you didn't I, I have kids. You didn't get around to doing it yet. That's okay. But then I'll say, look, by the time you do the next one, could you just do this? Because I don't want to waste your mum and dad's money or stuff like that, but they always come and we start doing highlight tapes and we start doing the breathing and they start understanding themselves. And once you open that, I don't need to be around in everyone's life. Once they get an idea of what to do and they really do understand, there is a possibility. Now, who are the experts that are going to make us bring that in and judge experts? You know what I'm finding out about you? You're an expert in asking really good questions <laughs> and being a thinker. Mm. And again, that's where... You know, like it takes a huge village and it does to do things well. Mm. But at the same time, if the villagers have got pitchforks and they're all going, oh, is it based on reality or is it based on something that someone's told them that's easy to do and jump on the bandwagon but doesn't actually stand up under science? Mm. And coming back to that thing of our own self-worth, mm -hmm. because that's what you're sort of doing with your clients and organisations that you work with as well is, you know, what's the possibility? How do we do it differently? How yeah. how do we become the best that we can be? How do, do we overcome the bullshit? Yeah. Too? Because honestly, corporations and even sport, you know, oh, what are your KPIs? Oh, please, try telling that to 15-year-olds. Ask how many 15-year-olds, if anyone's listening to this, if you've got a kid, they will be so sick of being told about goal setting from when they were one or two. Yeah. You know, like the answer is, what do you want to do? How do we get there? You can talk simple. You do not need to put in the highest corporate language. And that's the funny thing is, you know, I've gone to uni, I've done it, I've got all of this. But for me, what it actually is, keeping it real, making sure that the what you're doing, you're actually, it is you from the essence. No need, if you lie to people sooner or later, people see through that. Well, it becomes incongruent, doesn't it? Oh, and absolutely. That's where you get disheartened as well. Like pretending is really hard work. Oh, I agree. And yeah. it also for me is after a while, if someone really, you know, like, uh, no, this is this and this is this, and they actually don't want to expose themselves to new ideas or no, this is the way it's always been done, I just go, well, I, honestly, you keep doing what you're doing, but in the long run I think I end up happier than them. So, mm. you know, like that's the uh, – you don't have to work for everyone. You know, they may have more money than me and a lot of people and businesses will be bigger than me. But the truth is I am really particular in the fact that if you come and see me, I will do my best to actually help. Mm. But at the same time, it's a partnership. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, as I say to people, guess what, Bill? I'm going to give you ideas. I'm going to think of you things to do. And I know sometimes I toss so much out at people but you might only be able to afford to see me once or twice. But if I can give you the knowledge and I can give you something to follow up with and I give nice, nice easy little homework sheets or where to find things and how they do this. Is that the teacher in you? Yeah, well, it's the teacher in me. <laughs> and as I said, if I, had, if I could have the world for a year, well, I think the world would be a, a good, you know, like a better place. But from the point of view that I'll say to them, if you don't get around to doing this, I will still love you. I will still care about you. You just can't be in my A's. You'll be mm. in the B's if you're playing. Yeah. And for goodness sake, we need a B's. You always need a B's and C's. And the C's should be people who don't want to practice, just want to come out and see everyone yeah. every week. Yeah. 
and this is this so there's whole value thing. in being in the C team. Oh, there is, and the C team we used to call them when we played lacrosse the knights that go knit, <laughs> and they because we used to tell them they had no skill, run away with the ball, you know. Like yeah. so again, but they were the greatest friends, and we are still friends. And this is this thing is there is value in trying to be the best. There is still value in just going out every week and being nice to each other and seeing people and going, I'm in the sunshine or I'm just doing something. And that includes Wendy Pilts and my husband and I go and play frisbee golf in the down in the parklands yep. here. Requires no skill whatsoever except walking around and chatting to each yep. other. Yeah, so there's value in, mm. in all of that and it's about connection and community. Absolutely. So where do you think, um, you know, I think a lot about perfectionism and I see a lot of clients and you oh. would as well where it's like this unachievable thing and the pressure that people put on themselves um, and what you've just talked about is the fact that there's value in all of our skill base and, and what we do. So what's the key to ah, breaking I'm... perfectionism or, you know, it can be, of course we want to strive to be good, mm. but how detrimental is it? Okay. Question. So when people mm. come to me on their second, first one I teach for two hours, mm. people aren't used to a psychologist teaching because, first <laughs> of all, I need them to know there's nothing wrong with them. There's all this other stuff that's mm. just going to make you better. Yep. And guess what? We're going to help. But you need to see some of this first. Second one is all about them. They go away and they answer some questions. But rather than being this personality profiling that, you know, you computer score, we sit down and go through all the questions. And mm. yours just was one of the questions. Making a mistake doesn't bother me if I've tried my hardest. Yeah. Now, perfectionists hate making a mistake. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely, that to them, making a mistake, even if they've tried their hardest, is the worst, is still really bad. Because ultimately it comes back to I'm bad. Yes. Well, ultimately it comes back to I haven't done what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And as I say to them, I actually go, so you've got a child and they're playing Lego and they're doing it and they're building something and everything and at the last minute something happens and it all falls over. They've tried their hardest, have they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, so do you get angry at them? They're your child. Do you get mad at them? No, mm. no. Well, why wouldn't you get mad at them? You know, they made a mistake and they go, well, they may not try again or it may make them feel really bad. So I go, so why are you doing that to yourself? Why every time that happens? So then we teach them something else because everyone's always told, Bill, don't make excuses. You ever been told that? You ever yeah. heard people being told that? <laughs> yeah. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Why? Ah, psychopaths or even people like me who have tendencies, which is boldness, colourfulness, all mm. of that, but I care about other people, which changes that thing. But what we know is when things go wrong, we externalise it. And sometimes I even, in, I don't internalise it, but I'll say, oh, Jenny, you idiot. And my husband will go, you're not an idiot. And I know I'm not. So yeah. I don't have a problem with that. But if I said the same thing to him, it could be a completely different result. So first of all, know your own psychology when you say things. But by externalising a problem or excuse, ah, the ball bounced the wrong way, what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to stay the same size. You are okay. not shrinking yourself in that star. So it's easy when I've got my, you know, little star that I'm talking about. But then to go with it so you're not a narcissist because if you think about it, there are some people who maybe even headed the free world that would actually make excuses all the time mm. and didn't actually act on it. But to then be better, I have one excuse, two new plans. So what two new things are you going to do differently so we get better next time. So if it's footy, for instance, and the ball's bounced and you've missed it, ah, next time I'm going to get to the fall of the ball earlier, mm. all right? Or I'm going to make sure I put my arms over the top of it rather than the side. But again, what could be the excuse is bounce over, stupid football, not not round, mm. you know, like or yeah. the wind blew it or things like that. But this is life. This is all of the things. So if you meant to do something wrong, I will actually kick you up the backside because mm. if you meant to hurt someone or be nasty or crush the car, then, then yes, you do deserve to get a little bit of a kick up the backside. Mm. But nearly everything that happens in the world is not, even if you make a mistake on a field in life, don't at work, yeah. work don't internalise it. Think, make a bit of an excuse, but no one will ever then judge you if you've made two new plans and doing something better. So Einstein says repeating the same thing and expecting a different result is silly. Yeah. So in other words, if you do what you just said, internalise it, make it worse, you are actually shrinking yourself, which means next time you're not likely to do as well because you are actually 
doubting mm. yourself while I am going, well, that was last time, I'm ready again this time because I've done this extra or this extra or I've planned this or I've found mm. this. So in other words, we start to actually build resilience by having exact ways of doing that and actually practising it. Mm. Yeah. And, like, I just think about that, like how we can be so hard on ourselves when we make mistakes, but it's just part of being human, isn't it? Oh. Like life is not all, everything goes smooth. So can um, I go back to luck and mm, mum yeah. again? So made a mistake as a kid, lost. Jen, next time I need you to do this. Or I remember I was five love down and I came back and I actually found the article she was. Yeah. Six five, you know, and I won the thing six five in those yeah. days. They'd start. But painting a picture of how it will get better, but also understanding that even when parents are young, I don't want them to, you know, like it's not always keep giving them excuses. It's actually going, well, yeah, you know, okay, you didn't mean to do that, but next time we'll do this and this. You're actually helping them learn to plan to be better mm. rather than just taking it on and I'm bad and I did this wrong. Yeah. And once you get to that, it's freeing. And by the way, check what I say. Uh, you know, I'm really happy if people listen to this and go, well, where did she get that from? Because even if you watch champions like um, Rafa Nadal, look at when they talk. They talk about mistakes are part of this. You can go and do this. And they end up much better functioning than people who get really angry all the time because anger at yourself or at others is the most self-defeating thing ever. Yeah. And it's like grudges. Oh, they just eat away at people. So it actually impacts you more than oh, anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, like I, I look at it and I go, if you want to be a healthy functioning individual, you can't just make excuses. You have to learn. You have to make plans. You have to change. But you can't take on the burden because I I make the analogy is like you're swimming. And if you've got people around or if these new things help you, it's like water wings underneath, bubbles pushing you up. Yep. But if you keep putting bricks on yourself, sooner or later it is going to drown you. Yeah, And that's someone said one day, oh, Jenny, people just need to harden up, eat, drink, eat some cement and harden up. And mm. I said, well, that'll be good swimming, won't it? Yeah. See so you go. There, <laughs> yeah. right to the bottom. I said, yeah. no, it's the exact opposite. I expect you to do some work. I expect you to learn. I expect you to do and change in some ways. But at the same time, if it gets too hard, I'll help you. And if you can't, I'll still love you. You're in the bees. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. There's so many things, bits of gold that you just come out with constantly. And what's your message for the world? Like if you could narrow it down to one thing. I mean, you've talked about this is how we be better. We bring in, you know, mistakes and we learn from them. We, we take action, all of those things. But what, what is Jenny Williams's? Uh, it, it's. I think the mistake that a lot of kind people make is um, gratitude, forgiveness, mindfulness is all fantastic and they are really important, right? Yeah. But mindfulness, if you don't know what you're doing, isn't as going to be as good as it could be. So, again, it's learn, are you doing the best things? Do you know how to connect head and heart? Mm. Uh, gratitude, absolutely. You know, like, but at the same time is sometimes people are actually grateful for things that I go, seriously, no, 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 no. That's mm. not healthy for you. But they've yeah. been conditioned to be yeah. grateful yeah. for people paying attention to them once every millionth of time instead of actually going, it's like the pokies. People can actually have bad things happen to them six, but the seventh someone embraces them and tells them mm. they're wonderful. And so they come back for it again. Mm. So, again, it's actually learning. Is what I'm being grateful for fair? And, yes, and also I always say, there is a million, there is no limit in the world on smiles and please and thank you and asking the person who gave you their coffee, how's their day? What are they? Find out their name. If mm. you don't know the people who serves you name at the cafe that you met me at the other day, mm. if I don't know their names about their kids and everything and I go all the time, the world's about me, all yeah. right? You know, like, and this is a real difference. The forgiveness. Again, I will go, there's a difference between grudges and drivers. If someone has been really, really nasty to you, you cannot hold a grudge, but you need to learn to dismiss it. But I also need to teach you as part of that, and can I say the word asshole in, yeah. on this podcast? Because psychopaths in the world are assholes. They do not care about others. They care about themselves and the result, and mm. largely it's to do with them. So, again, understand this huge distinction there because these people, it doesn't matter whether you forgive them. 
the forgiveness is so that you just let them go. But sometimes also label them mm. that this is what they are, this is what they did, and their behaviour has no excuse for what they did. None, because they meant to hurt. And that's where really nice, kind people don't often understand that there are people in this world that mean to hurt others. Mm. And they probably when you ask me about psychology, that's one of the things I learned that they actually know how to target the timid and the ones who will not stand up for themselves. So people like me, psychopaths tend to avoid because <laughs> I will argue with them, I yeah. will whatever, and, you know, I will not stand back. And one of the things is if I could help the world, mm. even as a teacher, if we notice things, I found having to do mandatory reporting almost lacking in dignity for teachers because we did that. If we saw something and noticed it, I would hope I've always stood up for any women mm. that thinks or girls that that was happening to or people, you know, like you can't do that. That's not fair. That's mm. not right. What I found out in psychology is you need a seconder often to be listened to. Mm. So if you are listening to this and you have a bad time or something's going wrong or you want to present something that you're not sure about and you're pretty sure it's a very important thing to do or it's going to make a difference, find a second or a thirder that you talk to before you bring it up in a group. Mm. And their job is, especially if they're noticing someone else is being picked on, if you're, uh, you notice it but you don't know what to do about it, get two or three others and then say something and make mm. sure they back you up because that is likely to change the group behaviour. Mm. While if it's just one person, you're seen as the lone nut. And, mm. you know, like, and I was always lucky that group of women I talk about if any of us saw it we and we thought it was we would back and we would be protective and i look now at some of the stories that i hear and i go where were the people who should mm. be protecting yep. but psychology helped me understand that it is very hard for people to stand up to psychopaths mm. and having that boldness and that colorfulness to match them is really difficult so as part of forgiveness the forgiveness is for you so that you can actually, but sometimes if it was wrong and really wrong, just neutralise it. Mm. You may not forgive, but what you'll do is you'll neutralise it and you will actually go, those people don't deserve to have any more of bearing on my life yep. whatsoever. So it's being kind to yourself. Yes, isn't being it? kind to yourself yeah. and feel free to label them as assholes. Mm. Because what that does is psychologically, that actually adds to your armour. And, you know, and this is where good teachers and that are protective. But the more we teach people about this, and you can see once people come and they start learning all of this, it really adds to their toolbox of mm. being resilient. Yeah. And so that's why I am all for those things. But I go, there's one step more and you must understand this world is not, they don't, psychopaths don't care if people forgive them. Mm. They will keep doing it. So actually start to understand it, label them, and if they're your bosses or your family or anything, you've got two choices. You will either stay there and shrink or you will get away from it. Mm. And if you have to, if you're caught in a team or something that you have to stay there, come and see someone that can actually help you be a little bit <clears throat> yourself. Yeah. And then also then when you get a chance, get away from it and do not go back near it because yeah. it shrinks you in every way, shape or form. And as I say to people, no one in this world has a right to make you smaller. Mm. Yeah. All right? Yeah, and, and once you get that idea, it starts to be self-perpetuating self because you seek out good stuff, you learn new things. And probably one of the best things is one of the guys I uh, had an appointment with from one of the elite boys' schools, and he and I got on really well and we did this, and he's an elite. He was an elite sports person, and he's working in Melbourne now. And he rang me and he said, Jen, I was working on Saturday and I was, you know, I get pretty well paid for it, but he goes, I was bitching about working on Saturday. And he goes, and then I got in a taxi and the guy had been working longer hours than me for about one-tenth the money that I had mm -hmm. and he had to send it back home and it was a really hard work. And he goes, all I could think of you is luck and, mm -hmm. you know, differences. And I'm going, my job is done. When yep. great young men are starting to notice this, I know if this guy ever becomes important, which I think he will at some point, he will actually have a better view on the world than just what he's seen. Yeah. yeah. So it's all about what we can do to help people feel bigger yeah. and brighter and doing Oof. their best as exactly well. Exactly right. So, and I certainly know that I feel a lot larger and brighter just being in your <laughs> presence today. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Now, how can people get in touch with you? My business is bestongroundperformance.com. Yep. I don't, I work part-time. You yep. know why? Because... At my age, I want to enjoy my life. I want to have time with my friends who are sick or things like that because, and I've got time to come and do things yeah. like this. But most of all, 
you know, one of the things I say with mental health is if anyone wants to, if you have a team of kids or a team of people or a corporate or a, a staff, that's who I want to work with because, mm. again, once you actually have, you then have people who all understand what you're doing, you mm. go in the same direction, and it's not like fixing the world one person at a time. It's actually going, ah, now we get this, we're working on it, and if and we as, can do it together. Yes, yeah. you do it together. So, you know, I go, this is what I think is wrong with our mental health system is we keep putting people into come and see one-on-one mm. when there are those of us who are both mental health professionals and teachers who actually go, Give me a room full and mm. we'll actually help everyone and it's so much cheaper. Yeah. That would be one of the things I would tell the government somewhere <laughs> or maybe some of the health funds. Yeah. Start thinking how can we do this smarter than always just trying to fix one at a time. Yeah. And in the long run, by the way, as I said, the more teachers you can help, the more they understand, then the more they get time with everything and we exponentially get it better, yeah. which is a good thing. So thank you for so being thank such you. a... So thank you for having me, Bill. I really appreciated yeah. it. <laughs> thank you for being such a wonderful <laughs> teacher in so many ways. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like further information or to get in touch with me, you can visit ignitewellbeing.com.au.